Hello, hello. Welcome back to my Big Sisters podcast. I'm your host, Tina Kay. Hold on. I got to make sure my phone's not on because I feel like it is. Like the ringer. Okay. Let me collect myself and explain. Bitch, you always have an excuse. I know. Listen, I recorded the episode, right? Remember I was talking about how I was diagnosed and I'm ready to talk about it and share my story. The fucking dramatics, right? Okay. I did record it. And I think it's the type of story where, one, it was the first time I've ever said it, right? I think it needed a rough draft. And I shared that I don't like, when I was done with it, I was like, "Mm, I don't love that. And a lot of you said, post it anyway, post it anyway, because I said I was crying and this and that. Here's the thing. I'm not so worried about the crying, obviously, because I've definitely cried on my podcast. I will probably cry again. That's not really my issue because I don't look at crying. It can be cringe, but I just feel like crying is like normal and it's only a big deal because people make it a big deal. To me, it's just as normal as laughing. Like you feel emotions. They're going to come out. After they come out, you feel better, right? That wasn't my issue. My issue was there was things I wanted to say, and I think I got so caught up that I didn't say them. I think I was already so hypersensitive because it was so close to the date. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was already, like, all over the place. So even though I said the story and I got through it and and I said things I wanted to say, but there was things I left out that I would like to include. So I feel like it was a story where it kind of needed a rough draft. And even today, I don't know. Like, it's so... I thought about it a lot, right? Because I recorded that last week. And now it's this week, Wednesday. It's May 10th. And I've, I've thought about it since I recorded it and went through my, you know, processed. And now I know the things that I want to say. So I'm going to go through that today and I probably won't be as long-winded. Like I feel like I was using way too many words for something very simple and I think I was overwhelmed so I kept repeating myself. It was just messy. Like I, it was filled with tea so I bet it would be interesting to listen to because it was a little bit unhinged. But at the same time, you know, you, I'm, you know I don't edit, right? I just record and post. I only know I didn't like it based on memory of recording it. So I didn't listen to it and think this is stupid. I just record and post and I really don't even want to ever unless it's with video because things happen or like with an interview. I don't like editing. I like that I can just record and post. I feel like it's more raw and real and you know nothing else went into it. Like you're getting it as if we were on a phone call, you know, like we're FaceTiming or you have me on speaker while you're doing your thing or driving in your car. There's no editing going on. There's no bullshit going on. I like that. And I also pride myself on that I can do a whole episode without editing. Personally, I think I'm not half bad, babe. Like, (laughs) I, I don't think I'm too, I don't think I'm too bad at this. So I don't want to get into a mindset either where I could have just edited something. No, we're not going down that road. I don't ever want to be the type of podcast where we're editing too much. I want you to, unless there's ad reads and video and that's different because I feel like I could still talk, talk, talk and then add in ad reads later and you know what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm going to retell it today, but let's go over hot topics first. 
Um, I have my drinks. We'll do drinks. I have just a regular seltzer, I think. I don't think there's any flavor in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's regular. And I have a chai. I have a chai. I like my chai spicy and iced. I like it hot, too, sometimes. But I like my chai spicy. I don't like a watered-down chai. I like it more on the spicy side. This is the concentrate from Trader Joe's. It's pretty good. I never tried the Starbucks brand of the chai that you can take home or do at home. What do, they, what do you call that? What do you fucking call that? Is there a word for making your chai tea at home? <laughs> Homemade? I don't know. I've never tried the... You know how their Starbucks sells their boxes of teas? I never tried the chai one. But I want to because I know I love a spicy iced chai tea latte from Starbucks. I had to like stop drinking it for a little bit because I was doing it too much. And they put way too much sugar. But I love theirs. The Trader Joe's one is good. But I feel like I listened to the instructions on the bottle. And it says one part chai, two parts of, you know, your preferred milk or whatever. Non-dairy beverage, whatever. Um... That's not enough. I need more chai than milk. Anyway, it's still good though. I like it spicy. Okay, hot topics. I don't have many hot topics and I, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. So if I forgot anything, you know, you could reach out. I do my usual stuff. I'll go on the Instagram at my big sisters podcast on Instagram and do, you know, a question box. And then next week, maybe we could do a, a Mother's Day type of thing. Mother's Day is Sunday though. I was thinking about doing something for Mother's Day. I don't know, because I don't want to upset anyone, because I know Mother's Day could be, like, difficult for some people. I don't know. I'll think about that. But let me know you what you want to hear next week. Let me know on the Instagram what you're into, and we'll just get into hot topics now. The only hot topic I really have is the Tarte Trip drama. If you're not on TikTok, I don't know if you will be to um up to date on what I'm talking about so I'll give you a quick rundown there were two influencers both women of color who expressed their disappointment with Tarte when it comes to how they are treated the first one her name is Cindy and she's local to the tri-state so I believe she's an a TikTok influencer content creator from Newark New Jersey I've seen her content. Um, she does. She's done content with one of my favorite creators, Kiki. And they're both, I want to say Sri Lankan. If I have that incorrect, I do apologize. But I feel like it's Sri Lankan. I feel like she said that. Indian or Sri Lankan. I'm not, I can't remember. Hold on. It might say it. She might, I don't know if it's on her page. I don't want to get it wrong. Is it disrespectful to get it wrong? No, her page just says, does she call it South Asian? I think saying South Asian might cover it. Because I've heard her say South Asian creator. Anywho, she felt, so she went on the tar trip 
Did you guys notice the... I don't know. If you're not on TikTok... Okay. You could skip over this if you don't have TikTok and you're not into it. Just skip over it. But I'm going to tell you the drama. If you have TikTok, you're going to know what I'm talking about. And it has to do with the beauty industry. But this blew up so much that I'm like, I, I kind of have to talk about it a little bit. Okay. Cindy, I believe her name is... Right? Am I saying it right? I should have done my research. Yeah. Her name is Cindy. And her at is S-H-A-W-T-Y. So Shawty sin underscore and i believe her name is cindy oh my god she's so gorgeous jesus i'm like stuck looking at her picture oh my god okay she went on the tar trip when they went to turks and caicos i don't know they split that into two right so tar took two waves of people so there was one week a group of influencers the following week another group of influencers they've done that before in the past a lot of people were like oh i've never seen them before tar has done this before and you know i've been around a long time in the influencer world. They've done that before. Tarte uses a lot of their money on engaging with influencers in person. So from what I could tell, they send out PR. They used to send out crazy PR. I literally have a va- two vacuums from Tarte. They sent me a Roomba and they sent me, it was like a, a a handheld vac. That one, I don't know where the fuck it went. It might have died because I've had it for years. Like, I really banged that up. They, I have so many things from Tarte years ago. I got taken off their PR list <laughs> for reasons, as I'm about to mention, because I, I was one of the people that noticed this in, like, 2017. In addition to that, I don't think their shape tape is made for mature skin. And a lot of people will be like, no, I love the shape tape. Okay, well, let me review how it looks on you because I'm going to tell you there's probably a better concealer for you if you were over the age of 17 years old. Like, it is not for wrinkles under the eyes. It is not for, I just, it maybe it's high coverage, but the way that it dries, I think just makes you look older. Like, it, and even if your under eye bags aren't even that serious, even if you don't have a lot of fine lines, it's going to look worse with Tarte Shape Tape. That's my opinion professionally because I used to use it. I couldn't use it on clients. Anytime I did, I was like, this don't look right. And I would use a different one. Um, I do not use it on myself, have it in years. And it, for years, I haven't used their products just because I used to love their bronzer. But it was so visible to me that they do not cater to... It might look like it. I know... <laughs> Like, girl, you're light, medium, neutral. What the fuck are you talking about? Green eyes. Listen, I'm mixed and I just like don't go into it a lot. I don't, you know, I don't go into that a lot. But I just noticed they don't have girls like me on that page. Okay. Even when it comes to size, they don't, they don't have girls like me around. I, I, there's just so many things that I don't identify with. And it's a shame because I, there's a lot of great, Tarte has a lot of great products, which is obvious. They've been in business a long time you're gonna have great products but they just you know we just don't align basically that's my point so they took me right off pr girl like we were cool we went to lunch and everything and then as i was getting older in the industry it was like three four years later boom right off pr because i started you know i was honest about how i felt anywho this creator cindy she went on a tar trip and she felt like she was getting the shit end of the stick And she also expressed that she feels like it could be, she didn't say it was definitely because, but she felt like it could be because she is not a skinny, white, popular influencer. 
However, she is popular. She's big on TikTok. She has a great following and she has a niche following, which I would argue is even more important. Um, and she just, she was very emotional about it and she felt emotional, not judging her. I mean, like you could see she was visibly feeling emotions about it and she made a TikTok about it, which I'm like, are you allowed to do that? Do they not sign NDAs for these tar trips? <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh my God, girl, lawyer up because they got money. So I think they don't sign any, and I don't know. I want to find out, but I don't know anyone on their team at this point. I know a lot of people on a lot of different PR teams. I don't know anyone on Tarts. I really don't. Um, I would love to know if they sign NDAs. I have no idea though. Because I'm thinking, how could you even go on a tar trip and then make such a video like this? Anyway, she faced a lot of backlash because people were like, you're ungrateful. You should have just been happy that you were even invited because essentially it is a five-day vacation to Turks and Caicos and you are not required to post. Some brand trips you're required to post, some you're not. Tarte doesn't do that because they understand that it is probably better for business if you just have influencers come on the trip and they're saying Tarte a thousand times and will use the products if they want to, it kind of does work like that because the amount of times they say tart works. I saw a lot of comments of people saying like, I'm not influenced by anything. You might not be, but just having their name in press so often, meaning social media press, meaning TikTok videos by huge creators, just having their name be mentioned tart that many times will boost sales. It will. And it's just how marketing goes. Like all press is good press. It's just how it is. So they are smart in that sense to have these huge creators come, make whatever content you want. We just want to have fun with you and get to know you. Also building a rapport with them. Like they took also Brianna Chicken Fry, who I follow because she's a Barstool employee. And you know, I want to be on Barstool. Like wouldn't I kill it at Barstool? We can talk about that later. So I do my research and I follow a lot of Barstool creators because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to learn because eventually they're going to sign me. <laughs> they don't know yet, but I'm about to be one of their top podcasts. I just think it would be a good fit. Me and Chi Chi, I can put her in the stroller. You know what? I, you see it. Okay. I follow Brianna Chicken Fry. She's not really my type of content. I'm not a college girl. I'm not in my young 20s. I don't get as crazy as she, You know what I mean? She's skinny. Like we don't relate. But her con, she's very funny. I love her um, co-host, Grace. Like, I follow her, right? So she went on Out and About, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And she was talking about Tart. Like, she brought them so much press because she's on so many different podcasts talking about, oh, my God, and they gave us gifts. You could tell she really enjoyed her experience. So because her rapport with Tart is now a genuine connection and tied to positive memories she's more likely to use all of those Tarte products. Like when she needs something new, she might go into Sephora and be like, you know what, let me get something from Tarte because I love that blush. Like that's why I took marketing. I, I was a marketing major. Listen to me. It's very subliminal things that you can do. You don't need to have influencers go on their brand trip and do get ready with me and tutorials and reviews. If they do, that's great but they don't need to. It's almost better if they don't. So this is a very strategic and smart marketing move. However, 
they used a villa. I believe it was Prince's villa that he obviously formerly owned. Maybe his estate still owns and rents it. But they rented that villa, that estate in Turks and Caicos. And that's where the trip was. The issue with that is in a villa, the rooms are not going to be equal, right? Like in your house, not all of your rooms are exactly the same size. They're going to have different features to them. Some are going to have windows in one place. Some some are going to have better lighting. Some are, are going to be in the back of the house. Some are going to be in the front of the house. Like all, the rooms are just not going to be the same or equal. And now you have all these influencers come. So it was very obvious who was put in the best rooms available. Now, th- that is going to make anyone feel a kind of way like, wait, why am I in the fucking basement? And this bitch gets the fucking giant master bedroom with a bathroom and the best lighting and the biggest bed and the most beautiful decor. It feels very like, oh, because I'm less than. I'm at the bottom of the pole because she has more followers. It just puts people in a... It, you literally painted the perspective for them. Like not only... You, you brought them on the trip, right? I'm talking about Tart. They brought them on the trip and yes, you should just be grateful, right? And... I think that gratitude for being there and also recognizing that, oh, I'm not being treated equally, kind of, because I am not as popular, can happen at the same time. Think about it. Like, you can go to a nice dinner with someone. Okay, think about it like this. You like somebody, right? They take you on a dinner date and you had a nice time. And the dinner date, maybe you went to a three-star restaurant, but the food was great. You had a great time. You didn't have to pay. They ended up paying. And you just feel grateful. Like, oh, wow, I had such... Or even with a friend, right? Your your friend takes you out for your birthday. You go to a nice place. You have such a good time. And you're so grateful. And then the next day, you see your same friend take out their other friend, but they took their other friend to the best restaurant in the city. And got the, your other friend a Cartier bracelet. And you, you're you still grateful that they did something for your birthday. But you can't help but feel like, wait, why did that other friend? I thought we were all on the same page. Like, why did that other friend get way more? Like, why was she treated better than me? I thought I was valued as well. So you, could, I feel like the both can happen at the same time. And I think that's what I took from her video. I feel like. She knew that it was such a fun and good opportunity, but at the same time, it was so hard to ignore that the skinny, tiny, blonde, white girl, Alex Earl, or whoever, she didn't say who it was. I'm just assuming it might not have been Alex Earl, but you get what I'm saying. I'm just trying to use like a figurehead, gets the biggest and the best room and the best treatment. Like why? Now, listen, I'm going to be 32 and I'm a little rough around the edges. Like you can put me in the fucking lobby, bitch. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I would I wouldn't personally do a brand trip. I do you know, I can't be in the sun like that. Do you know what I mean? I would just be I would almost feel too too like too much of a burden because I'm too aware that I'm not able to party like that, sit in the sun like that. I need nap, like girl. Even when I go on vacation, I'm by the pool. I'm in the, even when I was in Miami, I was in the air conditioning. We were on a yacht, right? I was in the air conditioning. Okay. (laughs) Like 
I'm not fit for a hot summer Turks and Caicos brand trip. However, would I go? Probably because I would want content for you guys. I would bring my microphone and everything. <laughs> I'd be trying to get quotes. I also talk a lot and I love, like I'm really good at social things. So I feel like I would go just like I do for the plot, you know? Anywho, I could see it from both sides. It's like, girl, you just got a free trip. Shut the fuck up. Like your job is being an influencer. Like be lucky you're not waiting tables and shit. I see it from both sides because I can practice duality. And what do we have here? Critical thinking skills. <laughs> I need like a um, an audio chime in that says critical thinking skills and like have it blink on the wall. Critical thinking so I can practice duality and see it from both sides and be respectful to both sides. However, it didn't end there, right? Okay, so Cindy expressed her feelings. She got her ass chewed out because people were like, you should just be grateful. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not just a white woman feeling like I should have had a bigger room. I feel like this all the time. I always get the shit out of the stick. And I can relate to that a little bit just because when you have an illness or whatever, we, we all can as women, right? Like think about it that way. Maybe you're not South Asian, maybe you're not Indian, maybe you are you don't have a brown skin tone, maybe you're not black, maybe you're not a woman of color, but in some way, shape, or form, you can re- relate to getting the shit end of the stick just because you are not them. Let's think of it in a workplace. Man versus woman. Men get away with way more. They get way better treatment. Like, it's just so blatantly obvious, but should you be grateful that you have a job in this economy? So it's like, it's kind of like that. Okay, moving on. A couple days later, a cr- another creator on TikTok, her name is Bria Jones, um, and she is a black woman, I believe. I Everywhere I'm seeing, I tried to look up if there, she, she also left TikTok at the moment, so it's not like, you know, it's hard to get that information. And also people don't just put in their bio, like I'm black, I'm this, I'm, that doesn't always happen. But from what I could see, she's a black woman, And she was expressing her disappointment with Tarte as well. And her her disappointment with with them was they invited her to F1, which is, I guess, a race or something. I'm not familiar with with all these things, guys. They invited her to F1. But when she was reading the email she noticed that she won't be able to go to the actual race, but she will still be able to go to Miami to go to the parties after. And she was in tears. She was very emotional and felt like it's just fucked up because why doesn't she get the same opportunities that, again, the other influencers get? Now, listen, I know a lot of you aren't influencers and there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you're not going to know about. But just to keep it real with you and not to be like, don't get all like, oh, what are you a fucking liberal? Don't do that shit. I'm telling you facts. Black creators do not get paid the same. I don't know why. I don't know why. I've never been on. I do consultations. I do. I obviously do PR and I help other influencers out if they have questions. But I'm not I'm not on a brand's marketing team. I have no idea how they calculate their budgets. And I have no idea how they price things out or pay. I don't know why they pay people a certain thing. I don't know why. But I know that it's a fact. It's stuff I've seen in writing. It's stuff I've seen through the years. 
this is not just a after 2020 speculation. This is a very this has been happening since I started and I started years ago. And I didn't know because someone told me. I didn't hear this from another influencer. I know because sometimes when they send over your contract, they'll attach someone else's by accident. And I've unfortunately read other people's contracts who had more followers than me, more work to do, and were getting paid way less than I was. Now, I'm, I have a background in sales. I also have a background in legal. So maybe it was just my negotiation skills that had more, more pay involved. But this is a thing, okay? So I can imagine that, yeah, when you hear like, oh, she cried because she was invited to the race, but she was still invited to go to Miami. That's, that's what it was. This creator, Bria Jones, she was still invited to go to Miami, but she just wasn't able to go to the race because they didn't have any more tickets or some shit like that. And she was very upset about it and expressed the same thing. I doubt that it was just because of the tart thing. I prob- I'm thinking maybe it's like a buildup over time, like working with brands and just constantly seeing that she has to work way harder to get good uh, a great payment that she knows her white counterparts are getting. Um, she doesn't have like an Alex Earl following, but she does have a very large following that again is very niche to her. She has great engagement and she also makes great content. She makes great content because I was looking at her TikTok. Okay. She was crying. And again, she got her ass chewed out. Everybody was like, are you fucking kidding me? What are, why are you complaining? Like, it's just an F1 race. What's the big fucking deal and blah, blah, blah. And then it escalated. And that's why I'm talking about it because it escalated beyond, beyond, like it just got worse and worse. So instead of Tart being professional and like reaching out to her, and I don't know if they reached out to her privately, the fucking CEO Maureen of Tart went on TikTok and did like this apology video while she was doing her hair and makeup. Like she did a get ready with me apology with like a smiling. It was so, you could find it on TikTok. Just look it up. Tart Maureen apology video. It's bizarre. You're addressing an issue with your company that is racially charged. There are black women who feel slighted by your company. And your response is a fucking get ready with me to apologize. It's insane. I have to laugh because it's literally insane. It's like, you're not well. That was just like the dumbest. I don't know who the fuck is on her team. I don't know if this is a her thing and maybe she micromanages. Maybe her PR team is like, we don't want to be doing these things, but it's Maureen. Like she micromanages. She makes us do it. I don't know. I would love a fucking anonymous tip from somebody on the Tarte team. Like, please call in. If you know anyone who knows someone, we can keep their name anonymous. I'll, they, they can use a voice changer. But I just want, I need to know what goes on behind the scenes. And usually I do, but with Tarte, I don't know anybody. I wish I knew, like, what the fuck goes on in your meetings? Like, how, how are you so tone deaf? Like, how do you not see these things? It's 2023. It's like not that fucking hard to figure out. It's literally not that hard. There's so many people you can hire. There's so many people who are so good at their job. 
They're so good at this. They're good at inclusivity. They're good at not being tone deaf. They're just good at social climate. They're good at marketing. They're good at public relations. They're good at building a rapport. How the fuck do you have that much money and you consistently fuck it up? Because here's the issue. Yes, that apology is the issue because that was stupid. (laughs) That was just... You don't give a fuck. You might, she might as well just came on TikTok and been like, hey guys, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't care. She might as well have just said that. And she, anyway, Tard has been doing this a long time. And I've fucking discussed this with you guys way before 2020. And I say before 2020 because a lot of creators started talking about this after 2020, but this was happening before that. They released some new foundation and the foundation had like seven shades and all of the foundations were light to light medium. And it was very like, what's going on here? Because my spray tan is darker than that. Like, why would you do that? It's bizarre when a brand does that because why are you releasing foundation shades that are like literally only made for lighter skinned humans? That's it's weird now. Because just think of all the foundations and the, all the different skin tones in the world. Why would you only make the very select few? And the variations of it. Like if you're only making seven, why are they all light? Why can't you just like, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Especially if you're doing a foundation. And it very clearly says you only want a certain kind of people in your brand. Just like I've talked to you about fashion and luxury designers, when you only see certain people in their ads and in their runway and based on the sizes that they carry, it means those are the only people that they want in their clothing, right? It, it works the same way. Okay. So this has been happening for years. People have been saying, I don't wear tarp because they just, they don't, they don't like me. They don't want people like me in their in their foundation, in their makeup. I don't fuck with them. I don't want their products. Like this has been going on a long time. So when this came up again, it just wasn't shocking. And people were were also on um, Cindy and Bria's side saying like, well, we knew this about Tarte. So like, what's the surprise? Just stop fucking with them. Like, don't go on the brand trip then. And other people are like, well, yeah, I would go on a brand trip too because it's great content. It's good for business if you're an influencer, right? And that's a whole different conversation. Like, where where are your more mor- where are your morals as an influencer, right? Because you're kind of you're you're in a chokehold by these brands. Like, you have to be likable. There's things you can't talk about. There's things you can't do. There's things you can't post. Like, you can't genuinely be just yourself because you still have to be brand safe and. If this is the only brand inviting you on a brand trip, do you not go or do you go and take the opportunity? And it's just like, where are your morals when your income is based on how brands, the opportunities that brands give you? Okay. Different conversation though. So Maureen put out that apology and it bombed. It was just the weirdest and dumbest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Okay. It escalated again because now... The F, when was the F1? This, I'm already getting bored of this. They sent, they last minute took two black influencers that are on TikTok to the F1 uh, Miami trip. And again, people were outraged because 
you don't notice that you are the black token. That's how that's how other black creators were feeling because you read it in the comments. You can go find these videos and you'll see in the comments. Her name is Finita and they were telling her, you're just a black token. Why would you do that? They, where was the solidarity? And the reason that the solidarity conversation came up was because Finita had a problem with Pyrex, which is, um, you know what Pyrex is. She had a brand deal with them on TikTok. And I think something like with, they withdrew her, they withdrew her contract or something. And she was very upset. And she asked for solidarity within her community, which is black women. So when she went on this trip, those same black women were like, what the fuck is going on? So, okay, there's that part. Then another creator, her name is Nike, and she does very controversial topics. I personally have her blocked. I personally have her blocked because a creator friend of mine, um, I'm not going to say her name and stuff, but a creator friend of mine had an issue with her and wanted her to take some content down that she posted illegally talking about Nike. Nike? I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, she wanted her, her, her TikTok name is Specs and Blazers. So I'll just say that because I don't want to mispronounce her name. Um, she, she wouldn't take the content down. And because I, because I was talking to my friend about this, all of her videos were coming in my For You page and all of her takes were just, all of her opinions were just things I don't agree with. So I blocked her. Like to me, over a year ago, she seemed unhinged. Like she just seemed like not my type of creator. She said a lot of weird stuff and she kept repeating. I've been in this, I paved the way for black women, but really like I haven't seen her content in years. I don't know who she is. It's my understanding that Jackie Ina opened a lot of fucking doors for black creators. And Jackie Ina has been working years at it and has been saying this for a long time. So I don't know who this person is. If she did, it's just stuff that I haven't seen in the beauty industry. Maybe, maybe we just missed each other. I have no idea. But I blocked her a long time ago because her takes were just so out there and stuff I didn't agree with. And I'm not a hate watcher. If I don't like someone, I block them. Like, I'm just not into it. Okay, block. I don't need to see it. And I didn't like how she was treating my friend. Like, I didn't like how she was treating my friend. She was, I, one of my friends is, um, she worked really hard. Like, I used to go to brand events with this friend a long time ago, and she is doing it. She hustles for where she is in her influencer career. And I really just didn't like how Specs and Blazers was talking to her and treating her. And, I, uh, you know, I was trying to help my friend any way that I could. And I also blocked, I also blocked Specs and Blazers because I just didn't like how she was talking about my friend. She was making videos about her and it was just very hard to listen to and also off-putting. Like, I don't need to fucking see this. Anywho, that person, Specs and Blazers, made a crazy video saying that she's friends with the Tart team and that they said, we need you we need you now more than ever in Miami. All It's just very like, you know that didn't happen. <laughs> you know that didn't happen. You know you saw an opportunity and called them up and inserted yourself to be so not helpful. Anywho, it just, the videos got more unhinged and more unhinged and it just got so out of control that I started watching all of them because I'm like, this is crazy. Like this gets worse and worse. 
and not in like an entertaining way because I don't think one it's not my place to be in black woman's business right like that's just something I've never experienced nor can I comment on but because I know on a personal level how unhinged Specs and Blazers was acting towards a situation my friend was dealing with I was then following up on this because so many people were reposting and giving their opinion on this on the situation but I find it interesting how it went from Maureen making a crazy apology video to Specs and Blazers totally making it worse and then Maureen went back and made another apology video that was worse it just I don't know what Tart is doing. I don't. I personally think from being in the field, I think she needs to, I think someone's got to come out and say the truth about what's happening on the PR team because I don't want to say people need to be fired because the truth is I have friends in PR and it's not always the person working. Like it's not always the PR girl. A lot of CEOs are micromanagers and insufferable, okay? One of my friends... Yeah, I'm not going to give too many details, but it's the CEOs, okay? So we don't know. Is it the PR girls who are just missing the mark and giving bad advice and giving poor direction? Or is it Maureen micromanaging and not letting PR girls who are probably younger and more knowledgeable with their age range to be like, girl, you can't, please don't do that apology video. Take that down. Let's try this. It could be that she's giving ideas and Maureen is not accepting of those ideas. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not going to say they should be fired, rehaul, rehaul, get rid of everyone and rehire, rehaul. No, I mean rehire, rehire, hire new people. Like what is going on? We don't know. It literally could be Maureen who is running all this because a lot of CEOs micromanage and do it to their own detriment. I feel because I am a consultant for marketing in the beauty space, and I've had this conversation with multiple brands. I've signed an NDA, I can't tell you which ones, but they did change the way they market things, and it did improve. Tart, I don't know if you need to make Maureen shut up or if you need a new PR team, but you need to. They, she said something like she wants to hire a, a specialist. If you need a fucking specialist in 2023, that's insane. You need a specialist to tell you how to interact with black creators or just women in color in general or just how to use inclusivity with your beauty brand. You need a fucking specialist for that? Like, <laughs> what? Like, it's so easy to figure out. Anybody with half a brain would be like, girl, what is it to figure out? Just make products forever. You have so much money. They're not a new brand. I could see if a new brand has like two models or one person. That's very clearly they just don't have the budget to get other models to take pictures and whatever. Like this is millions of dollars. You can't figure it out how to make other foundation shades or or display more diversity within your line with the imagery and the socials and the brand trips. And if you're going to do a brand trip, why the fuck did you do a villa where the rooms are not equal? Why would you do that? That's like, so like, think about it. If you have all these kids, like 
say if you have five kids, which kid are you giving the shit room to? Like, that's the same thing. Like, why would you do that? Go to a resort where the rooms are equal. There's plenty of resorts, say like Jamaica, Montego Bay, that could use the money, that could use the the press. You could put a lot of money into their economy on one brand trip. Why did you pick a private fucking villa? Anyway, I think they need, they don't need specialists. They need influencers. They need influencers. They need to hire influencers who are in the space, who know these things naturally, who are on the other side of it. The problem is a lot of brands hire girls straight out of college who are who have never been an influencer and they're, they can only give you the perspective of what they see from the outside. And that's not always the best perspective. You need someone who is in the field as an influencer, going to events, having influencer friends, discussing payment and contracts, discussing, and not just influencers, but influencers who are clearly diverse, right? I would say New York. I feel like New York influencers are way more diverse than other places. That's what she needs. She needs a consultant. But then again, it's like, if she's just, the one that's not listening, nothing will get fixed. I think it's her. I really find it hard to believe that there's young PR girls on that team who are so, who are so, who, who are just that tone deaf. I don't think it's them. I think it's probably she micromanages a little bit, a lot of it, and isn't letting these things progress. She's not letting it get better. And that's something a lot of people in power do. Like it almost, like they're so used to being a certain way and that's how they got successful. And then when times change, they're not pivoting correctly. She was probably, she's been doing it so long. She was probably so, I'm just thinking about it from, you know, what I've observed in the field, but that's what I think about it. And listen, if they want to, <laughs> I am happy to come in. <laughs> Tart, Tart. I can be your new, they need a new person in public relations that deal, they need a new influencer coordinator because there's no way, if they had a good influencer coordinator, those TikToks wouldn't have been made. From the get, at this space, the influencer would have been like, girl, what the fuck is with this small room? Why am I in a small room? Do you know what I mean? Because the influencer create uh, coordinators I work with, we text regular. We have regular conversations. I could be like, what the fuck is this? You know I don't wear this shit. And she'll be like, I know. She made me send it out or like, you know what I mean? Or I'll see something and be like, babe, I, I'll i make a TikTok or I'll make a content or whatever, but please send me that because I want to use it. Or I'll say, I saw you came up with this. I don't need that. Don't, don't waste your money. Don't send it to me. I'm never going to use it. You know? A good influencer coordinator needs to have people skills and not just people skills, people skills with all shapes and sizes and colors. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't have a, an influencer coordinator who is scared to talk to black women or scared to take on those conversations. They need better people in that team, I think or just more knowledgeable or more experienced, I think they need influencers or someone who's good at talking. Meaning myself, this is my pitch. <laughs> Could you imagine? No, I'm just kidding. I would take the job because um, I think I would be good at it, but my intent would be to change things. I wouldn't take it how it is now where they very clearly don't give a fuck about 
any women of color or diversity at all. And that's why I haven't used their products. And so, well, I, I stopped using their products and then I just, you know, I got used to using other stuff and they don't like make anything I'm interested in. I was interested in that contour thing for a second, but then I'm like, that's so much product. I don't wear that much um, like liquid contour. I prefer Huda Beauty for contour products. I feel like it blends nice. I prefer Fenty for bronzer. Fenty makes some of the best bronzers. MAC, like there's so many other lines now that I'm just like, you know, but that's the drama and it just escalated. So if you're interested in that, I would go on TikTok and start typing it in because I found it interesting. So I appreciate you letting me talk about it because I love like anything PR, influencer related. I think maybe because I just know it, I know about a lot of it. So I really like talking about it and it, you know, but that's what's been going on. That's that's the only drama I had for you. So if you were interested in liked hearing about it, let me know and we can we can discuss more influencer stuff. I don't have any other hot topics. Like, what else was going on? Do I have personal updates? Yes. I went to Poppy Yoga. Did you see on my personal account? It's so cute, guys. So I went with my friend whom we reconnected. Remember? We made another, like, friend date. And um, we did goat yoga a long time ago. And she was like, oh, my God, remember we did goat yoga? We should do something like that again. And then sure enough, I found puppy yoga and it's right here in the city. And I was like, oh, she would fucking love this. I would love this. So we did it. We went. We went on Sunday, though, and that was the bike tour. I didn't know about the bike tour. She didn't know about the bike tour. I took the ferry in. So I wasn't late because when you take the ferry and the train and whatever, it does. It doesn't get stuck in traffic. She drove in. And she got stuck in traffic. So she missed half of the class. I say that because I did half of the class alone and it was still really fun and cute. And I had such a nice time. So don't feel shy to go by yourself. I really recommend going. It's called Wolf Wellness in the city. The ticket was $60. I posted a vlog about it on my personal Instagram at Tina Kosnick if you want to look look and see if it's for you. And then from the yoga class, you can coordinate with the rescue and apply to foster or apply to adopt. So the foster parents bring in the puppy for the class. The puppies run around and play and it is so cute. They'll play with you. They'll sit on you. They'll jump on you. The rescue will throw little treats around like little tiny treats to get the puppies to like move around the room. And they're adorable. It's all puppies under like four months. So that way it's like nothing dangerous and nobody bites or anything. They're all so, oh my God, they're so fucking cute. It was the best. It is hard to get through. It was, I believe, for floor Pilates, which is very similar to yoga. It's hard to get through the workout, but it is still a workout. So if you're in that vibe right now where you're trying to work out and stuff, you will actually like, like I'm still sore. (laughs) I'm still sore. That was such a good workout. I want to look up who the instructor is and see if she has like videos or classes or something because that was oh my god it was so nice and it was still so much fun I was holding one of the puppies he's available um she she dm'd me and sent me more pictures of him and I was like I can't adopt because I have a very I have a very spoiled chow chow myself and she would probably eat the other puppy like she's not I don't think she's 
I think she's got only child syndrome. I don't think she would take to a new friend in the house very well. Especially not a non-chow, because chows are more aloof. Like, she would need another dog that's her breed that won't bother her. Because when she, you know what I'm saying? So, when she, no, I can't adopt. But I still went to this thing, and it was so, we had so much fun. We had a really good time. I really recommend it. I'm trying to coordinate one here on Staten Island for my birthday weekend. So if you would come to that, send me a DM and let me know. Because the more yeses I have, the easier I can, like... <laughs> persuade because I want to try to get it sponsored as well. Maybe some beauty products, goodie bags, stuff like that. But I need like, yeah, I need them to see that people will actually come and buy tickets. And then the money that you pay for the ticket goes to the rescue because, you know, they need to raise money. It's so expensive to have a, a puppy rescue. Hold on. I need a sip. Ooh, spicy. I have it in my Starbucks cup, the ones that kind of suck. There's so much condensation. The top flies off. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, that was really nice. Um, And let me know what you think. If you would do a puppy yoga class with me. And I'll try to. Yeah, the more yeses I have, the more I can get brand sponsorships and goodie bag stuff. Um, but it's hard to do that if they think no one will show up. Okay, moving on. I think that's all I got. Yeah, Mother's Day is this weekend. I'm not going to see my mom, but for good reason. She's working over the weekend. The following weekend, we have something really nice planned to do with her. I don't want to tell you what it is because of like location wise. You know what I mean? I still got to be careful. But afterwards, I'll tell you how it went. And I'm so excited. I'm so fucking excited. So this weekend, his mom is going to come and we're going to hang out. And I'm excited for that, too. Like, I think Mother's Day is going to be great. And then also, I've just been doing stuff, bitch. Do you hear? I've been leaving the house. I've been making plans. I'm telling you, this podcast has been so healing for me. I don't know why. I think it's just, I don't know. But I can't thank you guys enough. Like, I don't know if it's just I'm out of my Saturn return or what, but this podcast has just been such a healing experience and I just feel like my life has only gotten better. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm trying to plan stuff to like look forward to because when I'm alone too long, I think I'm comfortable by myself, right? I'm comfortable in silence and I'm comfortable alone. But I feel like when I am, I got, I kind of get stuck there. And that's when impending, like depression, like impending doom thoughts creep in. So I kind of need like adventures with things that I like doing. Because going out to eat is, like I said before, it's not fun to me. It's just something to do, but it's not something I look forward to. Things I look forward to are the moments where I can just walk around the city. That is my favorite fucking thing to do. Just walk around the city, talk to people, buy things off the street. Like those are my favorite. Walking, those are my favorite. Bike riding. I like to be out and about, socializing, connecting with people. Just sitting and eating pisses me off. It's boring. I like to be entertained. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remind myself of the things that I like actually like doing instead of just making plans to go out to eat or drink. I'm not a big drinker. Don't like going out to eat, so... I do, you know, it's just, it's not my favorite. I just find it very boring. 
Okay. So let's get into the topic at hand. I thought I would be so upset talking about this. And I thought I would be really upset on the day of. And I wasn't. I was really okay. If anything, I was angry. And I'll get into why. But I felt a lot of a lot of anger. And I was discussing it with one of my close friends. And she sent me such a beautiful message on the anniversary of. And just said she recognizes how far I came. And how, how much strength it took. And just a lot of nice stuff. And then she was like, so what's the vibe? Like, are we... Are we upset today or are we like, fuck this shit? Like, what's going on? And I said, honestly, I just feel bitter. <laughs> like, I just... Cinco de Mayo makes me bitter as fuck. It makes me so bitter. And then it. I also felt like I don't want to heal from that. Like, I don't believe... Maybe this is toxic, so please don't take my advice. I just feel like, do we have to, like, let grudges and bitterness go? I feel like we don't. I don't need to do that. There's so many other places in my life where I've healed. I don't think we have to. That whole like forgive them because it frees you. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Not one bit. I don't need not that like there's nobody to forgive. I'm just saying in general, you don't need to heal from everything. It's okay. It's part of healing. I feel like me being bitter because I'm not angry about a lot of stuff. But this is something I'm angry about. Feeling bitter is like, it feels good to me. Like, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with hating Cinco de Mayo for the rest of my life. I have no intention of going out and making it a new memory of happy. No, I don't need to do that. Fuck Cinco de Mayo. Fuck everybody who went out. (laughs) Fuck. Fuck you. If you went out Cinco de Mayo, fuck you. I hope you had a great time. (laughs) I was posting on my close friends. Everyone who goes out today, I hope you get diarrhea. <laughs> I hope you have an awful time. I hope the drinks are bad and I hope it was awkward. <laughs> I was being, I was just being silly, but the reason I hate Cinco de Mayo is because seven years ago on the day I was diagnosed with MS. Oh my God, I can't believe I said it. Something about saying the word, I think because I have a hard time accepting that that it's the truth. Something about saying the word just like, that's why I don't like to talk about it. That's why I don't like to connect with people about it. I don't talk to other people who have it. I'm not in any groups. I don't have a, you can get a social worker to deal with like the anxieties and the depression that comes with it. I don't have that. (laughs) The reason I don't have that is because I don't want to go to an MS specialized social worker. I don't want nothing labeled. None of it. I don't want the label. I don't want the badge. I don't believe in like making it my whole personality. I don't mostly because I didn't want anybody to know. And people found out against my will. And that's what I'm bitter about. And I think that was the now that I'm years later, obviously being diagnosed at all and, and going through the sickness, the illness in itself is challenging. But the mental challenges from being doxxed and having people find out such intimate details about my health and the current state I was in against my wishes without my consent was way more traumatizing. And that's what I'm bitter about. I'm also bitter because 
I was in fucking ICU while I was scrolling Instagram trying to like disassociate and look at all these young, beautiful girls my age out just celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Well, I was, I've never felt so fucked up in my life. Seeing that really fucked me up. It gave me the perspective of you really think it's never going to be you when you're out and having fun. And I was that girl five minutes ago. Do you know what I mean? The year before I was diagnosed, I was out for Cinco de Mayo. I was out having a good time. And then I wasn't. Then I was in ICU and everything changed. And I just felt so, God, I would do anything to just be that young, carefree girl out partying with her friends for Cinco de Mayo. And that's why that's why I'm so bitter on the date, because I was in a fucking hospital bed in dirty clothes, hooked up to an IV, full of steroids that made me feel like I could jump out of my fucking skin in so much just turmoil, just in so much, just in such a bad headspace. And then scrolling and seeing girls my age, women my age, just enjoying just skipping in the sun, just skipping in the sun. It made me bitter. It made me so, at the time, it made me sad. At the time, it broke my heart. Like, it just, re- I, I didn't go back on. I obviously closed the app. I wasn't trying to be, like, self-harming and look. I closed the app and wouldn't wouldn't open it back up. But at the time, it really, that that whole perspective, like, the way that I was seeing it from the hospital bed really, really, it really did me in and now I fucking hate Cinco de Mayo forever. <laughs> Even though I'm well now, I can go skip in the sun as well. Well, not like for too long. Can't get too hot, but that's why I'm so bitter about it. <clears throat> and I hate I hate May 4th and I hate May 5th because, well, I'll tell you how it happens. The reason I was in ICU. Now, when you get diagnosed, it doesn't mean you go in ICU. My specific diagnosis was... I think, especially an emergency, it became an emergency because I personally delayed even going to the doctor. I put it off for so long that it got to a point where if I didn't go to the ER, things would have gotten worse and worse. And by the time I did go, you know, so I was diagnosed in the ER. It doesn't mean everyone would be diagnosed that way. That is not how that happens. Typically, what you're supposed to do is when you start noticing something is wrong, you go to your doctor. Your doctor sends you to a specialist. Your specialist sends you to a test. After the test, you go back to the specialist. They read your test and tell you what's going on. You're supposed to go as soon as you notice it. I went six, maybe longer than that. I went maybe a year without going. So things just got worse and worse and worse. But I knew something was wrong. So I was like 24. I knew something was wrong. I started, um, I can't say every symptom, but I started feeling things differently. I'm not going into the symptoms for many reasons. It's just more responsible for me as a creator, as somebody with a platform, to not start listing off everything that was wrong. If you feel like you have something going on, Go to your doctor. That's it. That's all you need to do. Don't Google it. Don't take what I've done as an example. This should be an example as a cautionary tale of what not to do. Learn. Okay. 
you feel like something's wrong, go to your doctor and keep advocating for yourself until you get the help you need. Don't Google it. Just fight for your, advocate for yourself. See a specialist. If you think you need an MRI, go to a neurologist and start saying everything that's wrong. They'll send you for an MRI. Do you know what I mean? You just got to keep asking for it. If you can afford it, this shit's very, it's very fucking expensive to be sick. Okay. If I start selling fee fee picks, you better buy. <laughs> send, send whoever you know who likes feet because it's so, it's, I'm, I feel bad saying like, oh, go get tested, but people don't have money to go get tested. It is so expensive to have health care. It's so fucking expensive. So I know that it's challenging. So I'm not about to rattle off symptoms and give anyone health anxiety. Talk to someone you know, tell someone you trust, you know, find if you can find a way, I also want to say, I can't help you with testing. I can't give you doctor recommendations. I can't help you with payment costs and, and I can't help with that. So I'm going to ask that you don't send me any messages asking like, did you feel this? Did you feel that? That's the whole reason I don't talk about this shit. I can't help you with that stuff. I'm only recently in a place where I can even say the word or the sentence. I have MS without wanting to jump off the bridge. It's very challenging for me as well. If you feel like something is wrong, tell someone you trust, tell a doctor. I can't personally help you with that. The best I can do is just share my story and maybe you feel seen by it. Maybe you see, I'm hoping that you see that, you know, things do eventually get better. It's not a debt. Like there's only so much I can do and helping you navigate it is not one of those things on that list. So I apologize, and I don't mean to sound a little too curt with you, but I just have to set that boundary or I won't be able to go on the internet at all. So I I was experiencing things for a while, but I was also in a really toxic home life. I have to watch my words because I don't want to get sued. I was in a really toxic place and I needed to move out. Um, I had a full-time job. I was working as an influencer and I was working as a freelance makeup artist. I didn't have time to be sick is my point. I didn't, I didn't have time to be sick. I had, I just wasn't making enough money. I didn't make enough to even save to move out. Um, and it wasn't me being irresponsible. I didn't have money to go out either. Like I didn't do it. I wasn't on vacation. Like I didn't do any of those things. All the money I had went to bills. I wasn't in debt, but all the money I had went to bills and I didn't have anything left over to save. I had very little left over to save. So that whole year um, that I even started feeling sick, I had to hustle and save because I needed to move out. I didn't have a choice. I don't I didn't even want to, but I didn't have a choice. And as I got closer to May, right? Cuz May is when I was diagnosed, so March, April, it was just getting so much worse, and I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was wrong to the point that it was neurological. And I knew it wasn't going to be good. You could feel it. I personally know my body. I could feel it. I knew something was up. And the other thing was I always had health issues. So this wasn't out of the blue. It wasn't just like I turned 24 and no, I've always had health issues and nobody knew what it was. When I was a teenager, they thought I had Lyme disease. 
Um, and then the specialist test came back negative. I don't have fucking Lyme disease. Don't start that shit. People love saying that. Well, maybe you have Lyme. No, I don't have Lyme. I have an MRI. You could see it on the scan. That's not Lyme disease. Lyme disease is something very different. Um, but that that came up a lot. Like there was, so, I went to all these different, I got tested for lupus a thousand times. Like I've always been someone who was dealing with issues and ailments to the point where even when I would say something's wrong, it would almost be ignored because it it's very like, oh, it's always something with you. But I had no diagnosis to say like, well, it's because of this. It would just be like, oh, it's always something with you. But it, but there was something wrong. <laughs> so eventually by the time I got to in my 20s, I stopped saying it. I stopped going to the doctor. I stopped complaining. I just didn't say anything. When something was wrong with me, I would ignore it. I would ignore it because I was just so, I was discarded so often, not by everyone, like don't, you know, you don't have to like speculate, but um, I've, we've tried for years and we just thought I just have a weak constitution. Like we just thought like, I'm just one of those people that's more sensitive. Like I would faint a lot. I would always get sick in the heat. Even as a kid, I would pass out if I, if I got too hot, like faint, I was always fainting and stuff. So there was always something, right? And then that year, I just had, I was so stressed. I was under so much stress and I was working so hard. I was hustling nonstop and I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I think it was in April, I went to the hospital on Staten Island because I couldn't see. I was starting to get like blurry vision. I was starting to get... It just, like, there was, like, something, it felt, it looked like what I was assuming a scratch on my eye. I'm like, oh, maybe I fucked with my eye. I'm always doing makeup. It felt like there was a sparkle stuck on my eye. So I went to the ER, and I didn't tell anyone. I only brought my best friend at the time just because I didn't want anyone making a big fucking deal. I didn't want anybody to know. I'm like, let me just go get this handled. I'm not trying to be stuck in the hospital. I have to work. Like, I don't have time for this shit. So my friend and I went, and the... The fucking asshole that was working in this ER was like, oh, you probably scratched it or something. I don't see anything, though. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. You scratched your eye and sent me on my way, which is crazy now that you think about it, because that's not what was going on. There was nothing on my eyeball because there was nothing on my actual eyeball and no scratches. What he should have done as a doctor in the ER would would be to send me for an MRI immediately because if there's no scratching the eye but if someone is complaining that they can't see that's neurological babe anyway he said it was a scratch and then I was like okay whatever fuck it and again I left it now at this point that I went to the Staten Island hospital there was other things going on but I thought it was just I don't know I didn't know what it was I knew something was wrong I just didn't know what and I wanted to ignore it because I literally felt like I don't have time for this. I have to I have to get the fuck out. I need to move out. I was under so much stress. I can't go into detail because I think legally I just can't. But I was under a significant amount of stress. And it was probably one of the lowest points in my life. I was so, I just felt so, it was awful. I was skinny. I was losing weight. I didn't even have money to really eat unless I was going out to dinner with someone else who was paying. Like, it was just a mess, okay? 
So I let it go because I was also thinking, I literally don't have time to go to a specialist. I don't have time for this because I have to work, work, work. I need to save up as much as I can. And I finally was, I was hustling so hard. I was finally getting something like a little bit of a cushion to put down a deposit on an apartment. And then on top of working in my free time, I was looking for apartments, calling, asking if I can come see them, finding out how do you even rent an apartment? Like, how do you even do that? I don't know how to fucking do that shit. I didn't at the time. I do now. So then it was a couple weeks later and my vision was getting worse and I was feeling worse. When I tell you I was, I was so tired. I was exhausted, other things, other things, and my vision was getting worse. And that's, that was one that I'm like, I don't think I could ignore this because I don't even know if I'm going to be able to fucking drive. I don't know how the fuck I was driving. Because at the time I was driving more, now I don't drive as much, but at the time I was driving way more often all the time. I don't even know how. And the only reason I went to the hospital again was because I was at work. This was like, I had just moved. It was like early May, like May 1st or something like that. And finally, and my move-in date was May 1st. That's why I think it's around then. And it was, yeah, end of April to May 1st. I had that whole weekend. I I knew something was wrong, right? And I was telling myself, okay, let me just move first and then I will go to the doctor. That was my mentality. I know this is bad. I don't feel good. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone how horrible I was feeling. My mom noticed, like she caught on to it and was like, you got to go get checked out, go get blood work done. And I was like, let me just move first. After I move, I will go. So I did the whole move. Um, My mom helped me. We got that done. I remember I literally, not that I had a lot at the time, but I unpacked and put everything away. I don't even think I slept that weekend because I got it all done because she didn't know this, but I knew this. I'm going to go to the doctor after I moved in. Like, let me set up my cable. Let me set everything up because come next week, I'm going to the doctor and I don't think it's going to be good. Honestly, between us, I thought I was dying. I thought it was like brain cancer or something else. I thought that's how terrible I felt. That's how bad my vision was. I thought I was dying. I thought it was going to be something so serious. And I thought, well, I was kind of (laughs) right. But I thought, if this is like a brain tumor, I'm going to have to, like, everything's going to change. I'm not going to be able to do all this. I'm not going to be able, like, everything is going to change. Everyone's going to treat me different. I just want to get this over with. I just want to have my own safe, safe space to come home to. And that was my mentality. Like I knew it was going to be a fucking disaster and I needed to get out of the poor living situation that I was in to a safer space in order to like properly take care of myself. So that week um, was obviously the week of Cinco de Mayo. I was at work and it my vision got so bad that I think I said it by accident or I was like, I kept like squinting and and moving my eyes, hoping like, is it something in my eye? Like, is it like an ocular migraine or some shit like that? And somebody in the office, this really kind person, he came over to me and said, what's going on? And they said, I just can't see. Like, I feel like something's in my eye. And he was like, yeah, but you, 
you've been losing weight like crazy. Like you don't, you look like something's wrong. You, are you feeling okay? And I was like, honestly, no. Like I just gave up. I just gave up. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm not. I don't feel okay. He was like, I, he's like, you don't look bad, but you just, it's so visible. Like I could see it on, you look sick. You go get checked out, go now. And I was like, I can't afford it. And he did our payroll. He was the accountant. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll make, I'll have you clocked in. Go fix. He was way older too. He said, go to the ER right now and figure out what's going on. Don't worry about the money. I'll have you clocked in. It won't take up any PTO. Just go. You got to take care of yourself. So I did. And I didn't tell anyone but my best friend at the time because she worked with me. So when I'm leaving the office, she's like, girl, where are you going? Um, so I had to tell her and I was like, listen, I haven't been feeling good. I really can't see. So-and-so told me to go to this ER and it was the ER in 17th Street. I don't know if they're still there, but it's the, it was Mount Sinai, ear, nose, and throat. He told me to go there because I said I couldn't see. He's like, you got to go to a specialist and you got to go now. Because he was like, how long has this been going on? I was like, well, <laughs> a few months, <laughs> maybe a year. He was like, you go down to ear, nose, and throat immediately and have them look at your eyes because it's an ER specialist. You got to go right now. I told her, I didn't tell anybody else. Um, I, it was like in the afternoon. So this was May 4th, maybe around two or three o'clock. Um, so I, I went down there. Obviously there was a wait. And finally when they took me, I did, he did all of the, this guy did all the eye tests, like the dye in the eye looking you know, trying to look at my whole eyeball was something scratched, was something t- torn. I was hoping that I had like a tear maybe. And then everything else was just stress and not actually like a disease. <laughs> I was hoping it was like a tear on my eyeball. I thought it, I was hoping it was like two things happening at once versus what it really was. He checked everything and he was like, wait a second, let me do a visual field test. And he did that. And sure enough, my whole um, right side of my visual field was gone. And then he gave me this piece of paper that's also a visual field test. It's like a, a, a quicker, easier one. You should still do like the one on the machine. But he was like, just do this real quick. And uh, sure enough, my whole right side was gone. And he very calmly, but with the most panicked look in his eyes, said, you are showing signs of a brain bleed. You need to go to the ER around the block immediately. I have to call you an ambulance because you need to be seen right now. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) no, I'm not going in a fucking ambulance for a brain bleed. Like, no, tell me where the ER is. I'll walk there. He was like, I can't let you do that. You, I can't let you do that. Like, I have to put you in an ambulance. I said, I'm, I'm, I will literally fucking run out of here right now. I'm not going in a fucking ambulance. An ambulance? Do you know, not the drama. Like, literally, I was like, okay, wait a second. <laughs> this is getting out of hands. I was trying to keep this under wraps. Like, this was not something I ever wanted to tell anyone, even my, my mom. Like, I didn't want anybody to know. The only reason I even, t- and I should have, I could have lied to my best friend, but I think because she was right there by the, I had to like tell work. Do you know what I mean? And she worked with me. But if I could have had no one know, that would have been the best outcome for me. 
So I was like, I'm not going in a fucking ambulance. I will go right. He was like, okay, but you have to go right now. Go immediately. And I said, I will. I'll, I'll literally go right now. I will go. But please don't put me in an ambulance. And then he said, um, I could also take you in a wheelchair because that's how close it was. And I was like, oh, no, no, thank you. I will take myself. I went. He called that ER and told them the situation and they took me right in. They now this is where I start losing memory, I think, because it was so overwhelming for me that I just lose portions of my memory because I disassociate when I'm stressed out. And um, that will cause you to have like gaps in your memory as well as stress and other things. And also the brain damage, like, hello, (laughs) that will cause fucking gaps in your memory. So I got to the ER and I can't remember how I even got in the MRI. I know that eventually my best friend from work not from work. She was my best friend at the time. We worked together. She came. I remember her sitting with me when I was in the, on the floor of the emergency room. Not, I was already taken in. So I wasn't in triage. I wasn't in the waiting room. So what do they call that? The floor, whatever. I was in a bed already. She was sitting there with me and a nurse came by and said, do you want um, a muscle relaxer for the MRI? And I was like, girl, you can give me whatever you got. Whatever drugs you got, you can give me right now. Because I would very much like to not be sober. Um, I don't remember how my mom found out. But she was on her way. I don't remember how. Maybe I told her. I have no idea. I remember I woke up coming out of the MRI machine. I think they woke me up. And my boyfriend was in there. I don't know how the fuck he got up there. I don't even know how he got there. I don't remember telling him because, again, I didn't want anybody to know. I don't think she told him. I might have told them and I don't remember. I might have said, hey, I'm just getting checked out at the ER. Like I might have said something. I just can't remember how I said it, when I said it, if it was a phone call, if it was a text. I have no idea. Um, After the MRI, I don't remember going back downstairs. I do remember... This little ner- this little doctor reading my MRI scan, turning the my mom wasn't there yet. I think it was me, my boyfriend, and my friend, turning the monitor around and saying, um, "This is what we see on the screen. I have to have a specialist look at it, but there's spots on your brain. This is why you can't see." And I remember thinking, and I think she said, "This looks like MS, but I can't confirm." whatever like I think she couldn't give the final diagnosis because you need to be evaluated and they have to ask your other symptoms and stuff but I remember she turned the screen around and you could see the picture of my brain and I saw it like I saw my brain and I saw the spots and I saw how big they were um and so did my fucking boyfriend (laughs) which again I don't know why I told him um and he I think he freaked out But the reason he freaked out is because I was so distraught. I think I looked at him and said, can you get me out of here? Like, I freaked out. I've never felt that type of fear. I've never felt that before. It felt like it felt like a wave of heat went over my body. It felt like my heart dropped in my asshole. Like, do you ever get the worst news and your fucking heart just goes right in your asshole? Like, I was immediately like in cold sweats 
of stress. I was completely like, just this can't be fucking real. Like the worst fear I've ever felt in my life. And I think I freaked him out because I said, um, can you get me out of here? So he was like, yeah. He was like, all right, what do we do now? Can I get her out of here? And then the doctor was like, no, she has to go in the ICU. Like she has to start, she has to start a treatment yesterday, like right now. And we're starting her now. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. And I started freaking out and being like, no, no, I don't want to do that. What type of treatment? Like, and I think me freaking out freaked him out, obviously, right? Because I'm getting the worst no- news, but now so is he. Everyone you love gets impacted by what's happening to you. And it adds a, a second layer of stress and concern, even though if you have empathy, like unless you're self-centered, then like go off because that's way better. But if you care about how these people feel, it's way worse. Like if it was just, I should have been alone. If it was just me, I think it would have been less stressful because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't feel terrible for how scary it might've been for them because it was so visibly scary for them. And then I don't remember what happened next. I remember I woke up in ICU alone and my next memory is being it being the next day, Cinco de Mayo, and I'm admitted in the hospital now. My mom and my little sister are there. Little Bella Bean. She's my trooper. I love her. Oh, my God. She was with me, um, and they stayed with me. And I I don't remember a lot. I remember we watched Wendy Williams. I started watching on YouTube her show. I watched Jeffree Star with my little sister, and we would just watch like YouTube videos. And then when we weren't watching YouTube videos, I was playing the Drake album, something about the the songs. I don't know. It just calmed me down and I would just cry. I just cried. I'm not crying now because I'm sad. I just feel so bad for that person, like who I was at, at 24. I felt so bad for her. And I remember I was so scared. I was so scared and I was so like, what? I was so scared I wouldn't take off my clothes. So when I would remember, I would go to work as Rebecca. Some of you know, I would go to work in like just kind of like nothing sexy at all. And I remember my jeans were so baggy because I was losing weight so rapidly. I had on these bag. They were my favorite jeans, but they were baggy. I loved wearing them to work. Um, I had on this like. I would wear granny panties. Like you could probably see my underwear line. Like I would, I just tried to be the, the least sexy as possible. My Asics and my Asics were so worn down. But you know I love my Asics. I had on my Asics sneakers. My hair wasn't done. It was just brushed and long, <laughs> long. I think it was like down to my ass at this point. My glasses, because even wearing my contacts, like I just, I don't know. Something about wearing my glasses made it a little better. It really didn't. I think it just helped focus a little bit more. No makeup. Um, this ugly like little green coat. And probably, I don't even know what shirt I was wearing. But I was so stressed, I wouldn't change. And I think they made me take off my shirt and stuff to wear the hospital gown. But I would not take my pants off. I don't know why. I would just freak the fuck out. Like, I was so scared to take my pants off. 
And I stayed like that the entire time I was there. I wouldn't brush my teeth. I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't change. Disgusting. But that's how stressed and scared and just so dysregulated I felt that I felt like nobody touched me. I can't move. Like I was so overwhelmed. I felt like I can't move right now. I can't process. I can't move. I Don't touch me. I'm not taking my clothes off. Don't ask me to take them off. Nobody come near me. Don't touch me. I just felt so like I can't control anything. I think I attached to that's how I felt so out of control of my body that I was trying to control my body autonomy by wearing the same clothes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I felt so away from my body. Like my body is betraying me. I have no control over what it's doing. At the very least, let me control what I'm wearing. Like, do not fucking touch my clothes. Don't touch me. Don't ask me to take them off. And I sat in my, I sat in those dirty fucking jeans and underwear for five days, bitch. It might have been longer. I don't even remember how long I was there. I remember um, the steroids made me so hungry. Like I was ravenous where usually I I was so stressed at that point in my life, I wouldn't eat at all. But the steroids made me ravenous. I couldn't stop eating. <laughs> like I literally couldn't stop eating and I felt like I could rip out of my body. I was just so, I felt like a fucking tiger in a cage because you have to take, I, I was so sick. They had to put me on so many steroids or I was gonna lose my vision completely among other things. And the steroid is so intense. It makes you feel like a raging fucking animal. It makes you feel super hungry. You can't sleep. You feel paranoid. You feel stressed. Like it could have been that too. I was under a lot of stress, but it could have been the steroids fucking with me mentally because they make you feel paranoid. They make you feel scared, neurotic, This is not a steroid you get for fucking having pneumonia. This is like, it's it's intense. And I hope you never have to know, but it's a lot more than like a at-home fucking prescribed steroid. And I remember eating like crazy, like (laughs) I wanted to eat so much food. I remember the nurses were very kind. They didn't kick my mom out. In fact, I think they brought her, they brought in extra food because my little sister was with me. So my mom must have told them like, oh, this is my daughter. Like I, I have to have her with me, which she didn't. She could have stayed home, but <laughs> she was like, I have to, there's nowhere for her to go. She's got to stay with us. So they brought us so much food to feed me, my mom and my sister, which I, I wish I knew the nurse's name, but that type of kindness is part of the reason why I wanted to, to even tell you this story is because it is so unfortunate. Like this was the worst. I've been through terrible things, but this was like. I just felt so sorry for myself. Like I just felt so, I just knew, I knew everything was going to change. I knew it. I knew it for the whole time. And this is why I didn't want anybody to know. I just thought I was dying. I thought I have some type of brain cancer. I'm going to die. I'd rather, I'd rather die with short notice than die slow and make, that's why I wouldn't go. I didn't want to make anyone feel any type of pain. I didn't want, like if I was going to die and it, and if it was short notice, right, out of nowhere, 
they only grieve from when it happens on. But when you are sick, they grieve from the minute you find out. And that's what I didn't want. And I think that's why I was so upset. But it's also like, you know, my mom, she knows where the fuck I am all the time. So where the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> she that might have been what it is. She might have tried to contact me and I didn't answer. And she called somebody else and was like, where the fuck is she? That's the thing about my mom and my boyfriend. They're going to find where the fuck I am. <laughs> They're, they are going to locate me, babe. So that could have been how they found out. Like, there is no stopping them from getting to me in like a loving way like they're always worried about me they always were so this wasn't just because I got sick this was like this is how they are like where the fuck is she someone tell me where she is like they'll call my job where did she go they'll find me I think that's that might be how they found out Uh, or maybe I have an emergency contact and it's my mom's phone number I literally can't remember and we don't talk about it like that so it's it's not like I've asked my mom and been like, how did you find out? I, it could have been that I called and told her. I have no idea. Um, but just, you know, that's really why I didn't want to go earlier because I knew it was going to be something terrible. I just felt it. I felt it in my gut. I thought it was, thank God it wasn't that. Like, I really thought it was brain cancer and I thought I'm definitely dying. And that's so dramatic. <laughs> but that's what I believed. That's what I believed. I really believed like I'm dying. I'd rather just go and enjoy my time for what I have right now than um, stress everyone out and have them grieve me and have them be sad and everyone treat me differently. That's that that meant a lot to me, too. I didn't want to be treated different. I didn't want it to be a thing. And that unfortunately is what happens when you get diagnosed. So what was I up to? My sister was there. They were feeding. Oh, the I was so down. Like I was just in so much pain, pain mentally, pain physically. That when the nurses were so kind, it brings me to tears because I want you to know that. Like even now, and I think about this often because as soon as twenty twenty started, I started thinking about this more. The world is so harsh and it's so dark, but I want you to know if you listen to anything from the story, there are good people. There are good people. There are. And don't give up on that because I've been met with so much kindness through these experiences that I'm crying because it's it's overwhelming that people can be so nice to you. When I was experiencing a time in my life where there weren't a lot of people who were nice to me, even throughout my life, I I just, you know, there's very few people who have been kind to me. I was coming from a really, really toxic and abusive place. And in my worst moments, these nurses were so loving and so kind. They brought in so much food so we can all eat because we didn't have money. I didn't have extra money. I just moved. And they brought in food. They didn't kick my mom out. And that is truly like the most kind thing you could do for somebody who's going through something terrible. Because they didn't, she she couldn't afford a hotel to be nearby. But they let her stay in the room with me. There was never a moment that she wasn't next to me. They let my little sister stay in the room with me. There wasn't a moment they weren't next to me. I was never alone. 
they didn't kick them out. And in times like this, people get kicked out. They, they're not allowed to stay with you in these rooms, especially in ICU. And they let her stay with me. And I, I'm just so grateful till today because it was already so hard. And even though I didn't want anybody to know, as you know, as a person who loves her mom, it's so good to still, even though I didn't want her to go through that pain, I didn't want her to ever have to do this. It was still so nice to have my mom there because you feel like a little girl again. You feel like a little kid all over again. Like you're only okay if your mom says it's okay. I don't need to cry. But I also think it's important, like Mother's Day is coming up. And it really put into perspective how difficult it could be to be a parent. And how special it is and how grateful I am. Because I think they go through a lot. Because as much as this was my thing and this was my illness, you can't help but think this is her baby, right? Like you're your parents' baby. If your parents love you, you are their baby. And when something happens to you, it happens to them. And I think prior to this happening to me, I didn't have that perspective And I do believe this is why this happened to me. I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I'm happy it was me and not somebody else. Because not somebody else that I love. Because I do, I think I deserved it. I think it's what was meant for me. Because it gave me that perspective that I did not have. I had no idea. I was so young and in my 20s and so selfish and so self-centered and so... Just what was me? I'm going through such a hard time. Like, and it's hard to not feel that way when you're under so much stress. But at the same time, it's like, I really just didn't have the perspective of how short life is and how important the people you love are, how important your community is, how important your relationships are. I had no idea. I thought I knew too. I thought I knew. I thought I knew these things and I didn't. I had no idea how special and how privileged it is to have a parent who loves you, how privileged it is to have health, how how short life is and how fleeting it is. Overnight, my entire life changed. How toxic that hustle work culture is. I worked myself to sickness. This could have been handled in a different way. This did not have to get as bad as it did. And now I permanently am missing a part of my visual field. I have permanent damage that could have been avoided, but I was under so much stress and I was hustling so hard because it is so fucking expensive to rent an apartment because people, because women do not get paid the same. The opportunities are different and it is a privilege to come from money. It's a privilege to have help. 
it's a privilege to be able to live at home and not have to pay rent. And I didn't have those. And it complete every my perspective on everything changed overnight. It felt like overnight I have a completely new life. I had to grieve the life I had and process the one I now have overnight. Because that was it. You're never going back. You can't get undiagnosed. It doesn't go away. There's no cure. You will heal and you will get better. But that grieving pain and that processing time is so, it feels like someone died and the someone is you. You have to grieve it all over again. You have to grieve the life you had. You have to grieve everything because things change forever and you'll heal. But that permanent damage and treatment and taking medications and all the doctor's appointments, it's so much and it starts immediately. And it was fucking Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) So yeah, I was scrolling that fucking Instagram and I was pissed the fuck off. I was so upset. Look at all these fucking pretty bitches with their health. They have no idea how lucky they are out for Cinco de Mayo. I used to be jealous of bullshit. I used to be jealous of like who has what. Completely changed out the window overnight. Now I was jealous of who was just healthy who gets to live at home, who has privileges, who has their health, who has who doesn't have to worry like this, who doesn't have to pay for everything alone, like everything changed overnight. I didn't give a fuck about anything materialistic. I didn't give a fuck about any of that. All of it changed immediately. I never felt jealousy about a material object ever again. In my entire, ever again. That's it. It was done right there. Because when you were in a hospital bed, in disgusting clothes that you were too scared to take off, and you can't see right, and you feel like you were fucking jumping out of your skin, you could tear it off of your body, you could explode and cry and scream all at the same time, those designer bags and fucking anything materialistic doesn't matter. It does not make the experience better. Money does because it leads to better health care and you could take a break and you don't have to go back to work. But designer things and materialistic things, no. None of that shit fucking matters. The way you look like doesn't matter because I looked like shit. I looked like the I looked like what I was going through. I was not that pretty girl on Instagram with being a fucking influencer. That girl was gone. That doesn't even exist. Behind the scenes of those pretty pictures, I was suffering. There, I was uploading every day. Beautiful pictures of myself. Getting brand deals. And the whole time, I, all those YouTube videos, I was fighting for my fucking life. I was so sick. All, I hate even looking at them. I hate looking at old photos. I don't look at any fucking pictures from any of that time. Because I had a hard time for years after this. And I suffered the whole, all those pictures. <coughs> Excuse me. All the pictures where 
I looked happy or pretty or just like, oh, everything is going so well. No, I was suffering. I was fighting for my life. No one even knew. No one even in my personal life knew until I was in the hospital. I was suffering so bad. And then afterwards, it was like, what the fuck was going on? And I was just, I just didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to be a complainer. And I didn't want to deal with it. And I didn't have time to. I couldn't, I didn't have money. I didn't have a, a safe space. I didn't, I didn't have a place where I could just heal and take more days off. I just, I didn't have that privilege. And it made me really, that's what I became jealous of. And that's why I hate Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) Because I was learning all these things that day. And I was in the hospital for a few days. And the only reason I was let out after like five days was because I cried I didn't want to miss more work. I had freelance appointments coming up. It was about to be the weekend. They didn't want to release me. And I I explained to them, they were like, well, you need to take time off to rest. You shouldn't be going back to work. And I literally looked at them like, are you fucking dumb? Like, where are you? You privileged fuck. Like, who can take off of work to be sick? I couldn't. I had to go back to work. There was no way. I had bills to pay now. I live on my own. I didn't have somewhere I could live where the bills are paid. I, I'm i going to have to pay for these fucking medical bills from even being here. I have freelance appointments I can't miss because I need the cash. Like, what are you talking about? And I couldn't go live with my mom. She also lived way too far from my job. There was no situation where... I would be able to just take off and rest. I would I would have had to quit my job and then what? And I couldn't even believe they said that to me. And I didn't realize all of these things until it was happening to me. Like you fucking, you're a fucking doctor. Your income is great, I bet. How the fuck you tell me? How, how, how dare you say that to me? You should take off and rest. It's not realistic. It's not fucking realistic. And I remember being so angry about that. In addition to these things happening, while I was in the hospital, unbeknownst to me, somebody told everybody without my consent. And I didn't know that until I was out of the hospital. I went to the gym. Oh, no. I did find out when I was in the hospital. I apologize. Sorry. Like I said, my memory of this is like scattered. I was in the hospital and it was like day three or something. And I started getting all of these texts and messages about, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I'm like, how the fuck does anyone even know? How does anyone even know that? I didn't post it. I would never do now I'll be funny and post when I'm getting a, uh, an infusion because I like to do my hair and pretend like I'm the main character. Like I, I find ways to make things fun for me. But this, but when it's serious, I don't share that. Are you fucking crazy? I'm not about to post, uh, oh, at the hospital and what, post the fucking wristband for sympathy? Like, I don't, that's not my vibe. And nobody likes when you do that, by the way. <laughs> Everyone who does that, we all see it and it's corny. I didn't do that. How the fuck did anybody know that I was here? How did anybody know? Because one of my other first thoughts was, I know how people are treated when they're sick. I know how it is. 
I'm not, I don't want to be treated like that. I don't want anybody to know. If this, I asked the doctor several questions. You can't see it on me. Nobody knew I was sick for months. I can hide this. I don't want anybody to fucking know. And I made that clear to the people who had to know now that I'm in the hospital. And obviously my job needs to know. So my close, my parents, right? My best friend and my boyfriend, I made sure to say, do not tell a fucking soul. I don't want anybody to know. Somebody told on Facebook while I was still in the hospital. And here I go getting all these texts and calls way before I even had time to process it for my fucking self. Now everybody knows. Why would you fucking do that? And I wasn't some celebrity, but for whatever fucking reason, a lot, I don't know. It was just too many people for me that knew and that's not what I wanted. I didn't want other families to know. I didn't want anyone who follows me to know. I didn't want people unauthorized at my job to know. Like I didn't want everybody to know, period. That I don't need to explain it. That's how I wanted it. If it was up to me, if I could time travel, I would have been more adamant about it and tried to stop that because even till today, I wish nobody knew. And I recommend that you don't share it because it's so much easier to process these things when it is private because having to process it in public is the fucking worst. The um, shit that people say, the weird things people say to you when they know makes it so much worse. I can't tell you how many times in the past seven fucking years someone has said some weird shit like, oh yeah, my cousin had that. Yeah, no, she's not doing too good. Or I know someone who died. Oh yeah, my friend, my neighbor had that and his and her husband had to take care of her. Just tell you awful shit, awful things that make you feel worse about the whole situation. So somebody posted it to Facebook and I'm still like this today. Like I fucking hate when I tell somebody something and I say, please don't tell anyone and they do it anyway. It makes me so upset. Like, don't do that. I'm asking you to not tell anyone. I'm telling you for a reason. Do not fucking tell anybody else. I have my reasons. And by you going against me, you're deciding for me. It's without my fucking consent. And that's exactly what happened. I got myself out of the hospital. They We compromised that I have to take the at-home pills several times a day and call if there's emergencies and come back and blah, 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 and then go back in a week. Okay, whatever. Because I was on steroids, I had to go to the gym because it was too, I couldn't sleep. It was too much energy in me. I had so much energy now. I had more energy than I had in the last year. Um, So working out was actually good. They said, you should work out, just don't be stressed. They didn't want me to go back to work because they didn't want me to be stressed. But I could work out. I could be mobile. Like I didn't have to sleep or anything. They wanted me to like, no, definitely work out, eat and take care of yourself. So I went to the gym. This is like one of the first days I'm back at the gym. I'm out of the hospital, not even a fucking week. And sure enough, remember I told you the story about that lady who asked me when I'm having kids? This was then. Sure enough, I see somebody I know who found out through fucking Facebook, come over to me. Oh my God, how are you feeling? Are you okay? How is so-and-so? When are you guys having kids? Just like 
the most fucks conversation because I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm hanging on by a thread. I am so lost in this life. I have no idea what my future means. I have no idea what is going to happen next. I don't, I'm not in a place of like, I'm going to fight and I'll be fine. That's not where my head was. I just got out of the hospital less than a week ago. Obviously, I was going to be fine and I know it's not a death sentence, but just knowing it's a forever type of thing and treatment, like I had a really hard time. And I think it's the way that I was diagnosed that it really just freaked me out. So I had an even worse time with it. But knowing people knew without my consent and now coming up to me while I'm out in my safe space, the gym, I I used to go to the gym two hours a night because it was like the only place I could decompress. It was in the city. I didn't know anyone. It It was like a private area to just be alone and get out all of my feelings. And now this bitch is here and she's talking to me about this. I couldn't even go on my Instagram without someone messaging me about it. It was just, I was bombarded way before I was ready to even talk about it. And that completely just put me in a space of not wanting to share anything ever again. And I do that till this day. Like this shit traumatized me (laughs) so bad that even now with talking with friends, I have a very hard time saying anything. I'll often be like, same shit, nothing's new, same, same. I don't say nothing because I think it just traumatized me. I don't like the thought that something terrible that happened to me was being used as gossip, a gossip token. It wasn't gossip worthy. I was sick. Like this was not, this is not like someone's boyfriend broke up with her. This is like, I was I'm, I'm in fucking ICU. Like, what's, I'm blind. Like, what was funny about that? What is gossip about that? And then just the negative comments, too. I've had people be like, well, you deserved it. It's your karma. Just like terrible, terrible things. My family saying very strange and hurtful shit. It's just so many things changed after that. People treat you so much, so differently. And you're immediately looked at as less than. And this is something that I think people know and it doesn't really get discussed because there's something weird that happens where when you are sick and you go through something like that, right? Or if you're telling, say, I also don't talk about it because people like to play one up with their illnesses and it's very strange. People get jealous that you're being validated by a diagnosis. People get jealous that people are validating your experience at all. So now this was outed against my will, right? And with a lot of negative came a lot of positive. There was positive messages. I know that people come from a good place of like, oh my God, are you okay? Please let me know if you need anything, blah, 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 right? When you receive that level of people reaching out to you and being nice, Other people see that and get jealous. It's very fucking weird. It's like the people like at a funeral where there's one person who didn't really know the person who died, but they're screaming and crying because they want to be the one that's looked at as like most affected by the death. You ever talk to someone and they're like playing one up about their illness and they're like, well, yeah, no, same. I have. Yeah, no, same. Like, it's weird. It's a weird thing. People get really jealous. Sorry, I'm putting my hair up. They want to be the sickest in the room. 
They do. It's very strange. It's a very weird experience. And I went through that so quickly, like I because I didn't have a chance to even process it for myself. I didn't even get to talk to a social worker yet who could be like, hey, this might happen. This might happen. People are weird about it. But they are. People treat you so differently, even still to today. People want, they want to be the sickest. They're jealous that you're being validated. They're jealous they're not, it's like Munchausen syndrome. It's like very fucking strange and a lot of people have it. And I think it comes from a broken place. I think it's just they suffered at some point and no one ever validated them. And then here goes this fucking influencer who is super sick and everyone's pouring love in and oh my God, everyone else is feeling bad for her and they want that level of validation. I get where it comes from, but I didn't want it. This was not up to me. I didn't I didn't make the Facebook post. I wasn't sending fucking text messages out saying, oh my God, I'm here, I'm here. I said exactly the opposite. I said, please don't tell us all. I don't want anybody to know. I just want everything. I have to deal with this privately. It's too much for me. I don't want anyone to treat me different. I don't want to deal with tears. I don't want to deal with emotions. I don't want any of it. Don't tell us all. I wanted the exact opposite. So I can't relate to why people do that weird one-up thing, but it happens and it's traumatizing. It really puts you in a place of like, you want to stay private. It makes you very closed off. I have a hard time talking. I don't have a hard time talking to people because you know I could talk, but I have a hard time opening up, Um, especially in person. Like having a podcast is great, but in-person conversations, people take it weird. Their tone changes. They also feel bad for you. And I don't like that either. Like when I go to the doctor, say I got to go to urgent care for something quick, right? Some regular. You got to write all this shit on your chart. Or like when I had COVID, do you know nurses will be mean to you at first, right? They'll have a fucking attitude. And then they look at my chart and the whole tone changes. Oh, you have MS? Oh my God, I didn't even know. And then there's the comments of you have MS, but you're so beautiful. No, you're so beautiful, but you're so beautiful. It's the weirdest. People don't know what to say. I think they just get nervous or something. They say weird shit. And then new things come up like, so when you have something like this, you are older than your age, right? And your future as an older person feels a little bit more scary than someone who isn't diagnosed with anything. So talking about being young versus being old or getting older or somebody saying some shit to you like, oh, why are you tired? You're so young. That becomes infuriating because I don't want to wear it like a badge. You know, I'm not trying to fucking remind anyone. But if there are people who do now and they still say weird shit like, but you're so young, why are you tired? Just like totally dumb shit. Just dumb shit. Like, girl, what the fuck do you mean? Why am I tired? I'm fighting for my life in here. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I'm tired because I have, the, and I don't go around saying, I'll just be like, yeah, no, you're right. I'll just yes people to death because I'm not reiterating it. I'm not, I'm never saying it again. Like, that's really how I felt after that first two months. I was like, I'm never saying this again. I'm never telling anyone. I'm never saying it again. I don't even want to hear it. If you talk to me, I don't have it. Talk to me regular. I don't have it. We don't talk about it. It doesn't have to come up. I'm getting a little better about it recently. And obviously through the years, there are times where I've had to talk about it. And then I went to the opposite end of the spectrum and like tried to 
really talk about it and do the MS walk and everything. And that just, no, not for me. I don't want to go to the MS walk. I don't want to do, no, I don't want to do none of that shit. I'm no one's fucking advocate. I can't do it. I'm not cut out for that. Maybe in another seven years, I'm not cut out for that. And I know that people want to see like some type of representation, um, like a beauty influencer who has something similar to them. But the problem, the reason you may not be seeing it is because the backlash and the way people treat you is so damaging. And it's something that is even hard to discuss. Like I never talk about it openly, but the way people treat you is very different. You don't get jobs, by the way. You don't get a job. If you want an office job and they know, you're not getting the job. It's very hard to get a job. It's very difficult to make an income. The medical bills are overwhelming. Um, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to have the energy all the time. It's hard to feel good. It's always going to be something. People get annoyed with you. Sure, everyone's going to pour in love the first week. After that week, you don't get to complain anymore. You quickly become invisible and become the forgotten. Everything about healthcare will change your perspective. Everything about Medicaids and healthcare and accessibility to healthcare will change your perspective. Everything about the way people talk about those laws and rights will change your perspective. It'll change your perspective on how you view people. I've been in rooms and conversations where people have said super off-putting things about my kind, the people who have an illness and will have it forever and will always need tests and will always need accessibility to healthcare and, and, and suffer from the systems in place that make it hard to get healthcare. But you don't get to complain. They, trust me, society doesn't want complainers. They don't want, if you're going to be sick, don't wear it like a badge. Be quiet about it. Be cool about it. it the, the whole experience is something you don't know until it's you. And maybe you know someone, maybe it is you, and maybe you love somebody who has a serious illness like this because it's different from other things. Obviously, you can't compare different illnesses, but trust me, it's not like having hyperthyroid. It's not because I've I've had that in the past, which probably is just a factor of MS. Like things can set each other off. I don't have um, hyperthyroid right now, but if I'm like too sedentary, if I don't move around enough, um, or if I eat, you know what I mean? If I put on weight, like it'll fuck up my hormones and I'll, I'll get my hyperthyroid back. I don't have it to such a degree, but I've had that as well. Not the same thing. It's not like Hashimoto's. It's not like hypothyroid. It's not like um, PCOS and stuff. And it's not putting those things down. Those things are challenging. They're challenging in different ways. But this is something very different. And unless you experience it yourself, and unless you know someone you love who experiences it, you don't realize how quickly this world wants you out of it. They don't care. They just don't care. Things are not um, made for blind people or deaf people. Like if you are missing part of your visual field, like things aren't made for you. This world is 10 times harder to drive, to take public transportation. Like it is so difficult. That's why when I went for the infusion and I saw that there's a fucking filming crew taking up spots around the fucking hospital, like it, 
It just, you don't get why that's infuriating until it's you because you're not just thinking about you. I'm thinking about other people who are like me and worse. I have the kind where I will always be like this, thank God, right? And luckily there is an infusion that worked for me because the medication I was on stopped working. But there's a kind that's worse, okay? There's a kind that's worse. And that's my biggest fear. That's why I can't even talk about it. That's why I don't want it in my ill algorithm. That's why I don't want to see people who are worse because that, I know what the world and what people do to you. They don't want to be with you. They don't want to take care of you. Who is going to take care of you? What is your end goal? Who, like if you get worse, who will be there? You, you just, it's such a stress that you don't realize until it's you or somebody you love. It is such a burden. It is so hard to accept. And you're taking up fucking parking spots for these people who are just trying to get a treatment so they don't have to rely on others. So they don't have to ask for help. So they don't have to burden you, the people who are healthy. And you're taking up parking spots because you want to film some fucking show or a movie. It's like, it's infuriating. And there is parts of me who wishes that I had the strength in me to give some type of voice to people who feel so, because you quickly feel invisible. You just feel worthless. Worthless. What is your future? Why bother? I went through all the stages, babe. The first six months, I wouldn't take my medication because I was so super paranoid. I was super vegan. I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't do anything. Then I fluctuated. Then I... That didn't do shit, right? I didn't sleep for months because the steroids kept me up. I tried antidepressants. I've tried, I've done all the things. I've spiraled the other way and partied too much because I didn't care. Like I dealt with all of the stages pretty much until I got shared. Like this is very recent that I'm feeling better. But it doesn't mean, you know, healing isn't linear. Like it doesn't mean I will always feel this um, uh, collected about it. And then on top of it, people assume that because you look good, that you're doing okay, which is another, there's so many times that I've been really struggling and nobody had any idea. Um, they'll say like, oh my God, you're glowing. Like I've gotten that glowing comment. Oh my God, you're glowing. When I've been the sickest, like people really don't know. And that's okay. But it's hard to not feel invisible. Like you just feel invisible because you also don't want to, I'm speaking for myself, of course, but I felt like I didn't want to burden anyone else. So I often don't complain about anything if I'm having a bad day, if I'm feeling a certain way, because there's good days and bad days. And my period will always set it off as well if I, when I had COVID, like, but I don't complain. You can ask anyone around me. I don't um, say things often. If I, if my allergies are bothering me, like I'll have my safe complaints, but when it's serious, I don't say anything. And at the same time, it's like, well, then I'm also invisible. Like nobody knows how much mental pain I'm in. So even if I'm not, if I haven't been in pain, I went through a time where I was in so much pain, like just so, I just wish it didn't happen to me. I just wish it wasn't the truth. And I can imagine there's so many people who feel like that. And there's parts of me 
that also wishes I could be stronger and be a person that's making it visible and making people more aware of how hard life can be once once you have this and how unaccessible life is and how hard it is to be on public transportation and how just being kind to someone could really save them. All of the people who were kind to me through this experience, I did not forget. And it kept me there. If my mom wasn't so kind and so empathetic and so compassionate and so caring of me, I probably wouldn't have stayed around because it was so hard for so for so many chapters of this. And the way people treat you and treat you differently and have no... They don't care. The world does not give a fuck if you're having a bad week and can't make it to work. They don't care. that That's not how it is. The, only the toughest will survive. That's literally how the world is. And it can get to you sometimes. And it's really scary, especially when things change and a new virus is out and people don't want to wear a mask and, and people don't tell you when they're sick. That's the best. That's my favorite. When somebody was sick or somebody was just recently sick or their baby was sick and they come around you anyway with no fucking warning because to you, it's a little cold. To me, I'm down and out for three weeks. Like it's so much harder to just exist. It's just harder to exist and it's so hard to even tell anyone that because then it sounds like you're complaining and nobody likes a complainer. And I agree, nobody likes a complainer. It's fucking annoying. But you know what? It's so much worse when you have real long-term shit going on and then someone's complaining about something stupid. Oh, that's the fucking worst. There's a difference between fluff and hanging out with your friends and then there's like, okay, you complain too much about, you clearly like, you don't know how hard life can really get, babe, okay? And again, you, I know the trauma thing, like you can't compare people's trauma and you can't, you can't judge what someone else finds stressful. I know, I know. But everyone's entitled to their feelings and I'm entitled to mine. And this is how it's been. And it's only recently, only until I got shared did things really get better because if I'm alone and in my head, it gets so much worse and it gets so loud and the worries get worse. If I don't drug myself or, you know, find outlets for the pain. But when I got Cher, I was so consumed. This is why I'm so like a crazy dog, mom. (laughs) Because after I got her, I was so consumed with her and taking care of her right. It felt like I was free. It just felt like, and this sounds so sad and I don't mean to depress anyone, but when you're a sick person, when you have this type of diagnosis where the world makes you feel like you're a waste of space and a burden, you feel like that. You feel less than. And it's not just blatant comments and the way people treat you. It's like the undertones of things. Things people don't realize that they're saying. Things people that don't realize that they're saying about people like you. And it weighs on you. And then when I got her, it just felt like freeing. Like I have something to stay here for and I have something to enjoy and I have something 
that needs me and I have something that can't see it and doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) And I love it. I love it. She, if I'm too tired to walk her, she doesn't care. If I'm too tired to do something for her, she doesn't care. If I'm having a bad day and I'm really in my head, she doesn't care. She still wants to go outside. She still wants a treat. She still wants her mom. And it's so nice. It was like the first time since being diagnosed that I felt freed from it. I felt like what other people get to feel like. I could just feel like a dog mom. Because even if there's great days where I'm pretending and I've been on, I've had great episodes in my life where I completely forgot, but you never really forget, especially when you have um, blindness and stuff. But having her and just being a dog mom and having other stuff to put in my head and having, it's almost like having a safe space mentally has been the most healing experience And it's why I was just immediately so obsessed with the feeling because the second I held her, it's like the years after being diagnosed, I grew so cold and I grew so closed off because of being doxxed, of having my information put out there. Like even a fucking nurse told, I'm not going to get into it, whatever. A nurse broke a HIPAA law and told other people in different friend groups, like just being feeling so violated about something that was so personal to me it made me so closed off and it made it so hard for me to have connections with people it broke my trust it it's hard for me to trust anybody it just completely destroyed my trust and i grew cold it was just easier for me to be a cold heartless bitch because i had to survive the only way i was going to make it through was to be tough and heartless and just not give a fuck. And then when I got Cher, it was like feeling a love again for the first time. It, it just felt like feeling, not love, it felt like feeling a connection all over again for the first time. Because when you're traumatized with the people you have around you, you're used to having them around you. But those joys of meeting new people and having new experiences become dull and numb when you're in so much mental pain and mental anguish. And you become closed off that you do have people you love in your life, but it doesn't, it's not the same anymore because you are so personally upset, right? You're, you're the one who's depressed and dealing with something really hard. But when I got Cher, it just felt like there was blood in my body again. It just felt like, holy shit, I'm capable of feeling things. And it made everything so much better. And since then, I've been, you know, it's been up and down. I I have no idea what the future holds, but I'm doing a lot better than I was. And I also got my boobs on a year later after getting diagnosed because I thought to myself, if I'm going to have MS, I'm going to get fake tits. Like, if I'm going to have MS, I'm going to try to be like as hot as possible, (laughs) which is so toxic. But again, I'm very aware of how the world works and I know how things go. And I knew the better you look while you're sick, the better you will be treated and people will will forget. And that's what that's what my motive was. I was trying to make it like I want everyone to forget, like focus on something else. And then the treatments destroyed my teeth. So I had to get new teeth. Um, Yeah. So it's been a lot of up and down and it's really difficult. And if you're going through something similar, 
I hope that this doesn't feel like me just complaining and I hope that it feels like you feel seen that there's other people who are going through it have been through it and come out the other end and know exactly what you're feeling even if we don't talk about it with each other that you're not just sitting there floating in the world alone feeling this pain by yourself there's so many of us who feel this way and maybe you don't have what I have but you have something else and maybe you don't have anything but you have depression you're dealing with grief maybe you lost someone and you're just living in grief it also taught me so much about other people like I'm so angry that I have this and I wish I can get rid of it and I pray for a cure and I hope something comes up where it's just erased from my body and I could feel normal and I could feel healthy and I could be one of those fembots who never needs sleep and they can hustle and like I wish right but the amount of things it taught me about human beings and understanding and having compassion for others and not villainizing everyone just because we don't see things the same way and just taught me so much about dealing with people and especially during this pandemic seeing the way that people treat each other and judge each other and just the cruel behaviors people have it taught me how to be understanding and it taught me to look at things differently and it taught me to not take everything face value like there's so much more to the story for everyone. There's so much more to the story because you can look at me or a picture of me or hear other episodes and and think that's just what it is. But now you know there's so much more to everything. It was never just, it's never just what you see when you meet someone. Everyone has a story and your kindness can take them so far. I have so many stories of people being so kind to me when they didn't have to. And it really kept me together. It really saved my life. Those, the kindness and strangers and nurses. Um, there was a time when I was on Tech Federa, which was, which is an MS treatment. I was on Tech Federa and it's so expensive. It was like three. Now my treatment now is like, I think above 30,000. Oh, stressful babe it's stressful the tech federa was like 300 a month and i remember i called this was like maybe a year later i called to get my script and my insurance changed at the time and she said it's 300 and i started bawling crying i can't afford that how am i gonna afford this every month it's more than a car it was so expensive and i was hysterical I, I wanted to kill myself right then and there because how am I going to do this forever? It just feels like you can't get air. It feels like you're treading the water. It's always fucking something. You finally get somewhere. Things are getting better. Boom. The fucking treatment's now 300 a month. It's only getting more expensive. How long is this going to go on? And I also had problems with the treatment. The treatment would make me pass out all the time. Like it frequently made me sick because I wasn't eating enough. Like it was just... And I remember she said, she was so kind. And she was like, don't you worry about it, baby. I, you know what? We have free drug pro- programs. I'm going to get you in one of these programs. Hold on. Stay on the phone. I'm going to walk you through the whole thing. We're going to get you approved, baby. Don't worry about that. She also sent me um, uh, like a smaller bottle. Or she sent me like a free month because they don't want you to go without the treatment. So while I was waiting to get approved, she sent me a free month. 
Like, she didn't have to be that kind. She could have been like, oh, well, <laughs> well, can't afford it then. Oh, well, good luck in life. You know what I'm saying? And she was so kind. And she got me into the free drug program. And I, I was on that for a while. And that's how I had my treatment for years. Because the way it works, it's, it's so hard. It's so expensive. It's, 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 it's insane. Anyone you know who has an illness and and isn't in like the fucking union or something, it's expensive as fuck. Um, there was another time. Oh God, I can't even remember now. Well, maybe I don't have to carry on about every story, but just remember when you are kind, even if it's someone over the phone, even if it's a stranger, even if they're not the most kind to you, you have no idea what they might be dealing with. And you could be there. I'll never forget those women. And there's several. I have so many stories of, I just remember when people are kind to me and I try to do that for others. And I hope that, I hope that you find inspiration in that, that you have no idea who you could be kind to in that moment. Like you complaining at work or like you get a shitty coffee order. You don't know what that person's going through. Cause a lot of people who have illnesses have the shit jobs cause they can't get jobs in offices. They usually work in warehouses. They usually work as baristas and shit because it's hard to get a good job when you have to take off all the time for doctor's appointments and treatment and not just not feeling well. If you don't make it as an entrepreneur, it's really fucking hard. So just remember to be kind. Just try. I know some days it's really fucking hard. And also try, you know, I hope I, I can encourage you to be generous because it made me really generous. I find myself giving stuff away constantly or trying to help people or just doing what I can because there's people who were generous and kind to me when they didn't need to be. And I hope this inspires you to be generous. If you have anything, you know, if you have something and you can help someone, maybe do it. And maybe you, if you don't know how to help, maybe you could find philanthropy somewhere or somewhere you can volunteer. Like all that stuff means a lot to me now. So I try to involve myself in it when I can. Because those people who were kind to me, you know, they really helped. Anyway, I have to go eat. Um, and I was talking for a long time. It's a long podcast. Um... You know, I really do thank you for listening because like I said, this podcast changed a lot for me and it made me really happy. And it's nice to have a safe space to like tell the behind the scenes of, you know, what's been going on in my life and have someone to listen and and possibly have someone, have people that can relate. And then also when you guys write to me how it's, how hearing from me has helped you and the podcast and stuff. It means a lot to me and I don't forget and I don't want you to think I do because I don't. I remember all the messages. I know some of your names. I remember all these things. Even though my memory is shit, I I always remember when someone's kind and I only want to put good into the world and until I'm in a place where I can advocate for others and do something really life-changing, this is the best I got. (laughs) This is all I can do. Um, Okay, I gotta go eat. I love you guys so much and thank you for listening. Stay well. And one more thing, if you listen to the end, go to the fucking doctor. Please don't be like me. Don't put it off. If you can go, go. And if you need to move back home, which I should have just fucking quit my job and moved to my mom's, but if you need to move back home and to take care of yourself, do that. (laughs) Do that, okay? Ask people for help. Tell them you need their help. 
express gratitude and be kind to others. Okay, that's it. Bye.